Hello and welcome to another nostalgia-filled edition of the Throwback Attack podcast. My name's Jack and in this edition we'll be discussing memories of 90s Nickelodeon and CITV. Okay, so next up I'm speaking to someone who's definitely mad for it. It's actor, comedian and presenter Mike McLean. Hello. How are you? You all right? I'm all right, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, not bad actually. Not bad. Uh, you know, just uh, I'm just coming from tra- I've taken my son out training because they're both good footballers, and I'm, my legs are just completely gone now. Oh God! So it's been a bit of a been a bit of a busy evening. Well, thank you for taking the time out to chat with me after all that. No, no, you're welcome. You're welcome. And how have you been uh, coping with like the lockdown and stuff like that? Um, yeah, it's just it's really weird, really, because it gives you time to sort of get jobs done and, and write. So I'm writing new stand-up stuff and uh been working with a couple of writers and a director on a, a film idea that we've got with uh, a guy called Kendo Nakasaki, who was a big mm-hmm. wrestler back in the day. So we're sort of working on that and then another project that we're trying to get off the ground. So it sort of gives you... I was just about to start writing with a friend of mine for a series of BBC, yeah. a comedy series, and then it just went into lockdown and it all got shelved. So we were both absolutely gutted oh man well i hope uh once it all kind of gets better that things like that pick up for you all being well fingers crossed yeah it'd be nice it'd be nice um so um what i like to kind of do like at the start is is talk about um how you got into the world of entertaining and television so um tell us about how you kind of went down that path um i had a trial for man city when i was 11 because i always wanted to be a footballer that didn't work out. It just didn't work out. After 11 weeks, they said, look, thanks, but no thanks. So I was devastated. Um, and I there was a thing called the Chipping Scene at school, that books, and I bought a Paul Daniels More Magic book. And I really got into it, really got hooked. And I just started off there doing magic and stand-up and combined the two and, and never looked back, really. So I left school, worked as a carpenter in the theatre, loved it. Thought, right, I could do this. Went to the drama college, did two years, got kicked out after two years. Well, I had an argument. He was teaching me how to breathe, and I thought, I could do that. I've been doing it on the bus on the way in, uh, doing my sleep. I don't need somebody to teach me how to breathe, you know. So, um, and I just, I got off for the summer season. I got off for the summer season, which was where you go and learn your trade, you know. You literally go, and you then get put on a stage, and you have to present the disco dancing competition, the lovely legs competition or whatever it was you know so you sort of learned you know, how to present there before even a camera was stuck in your face and then I just went I was doing a summer season in Reeton Sands in Scarborough and previous to that I had an audition for this new channel called Nickelodeon and they just said look there's this new channel my agent at the time said there's a new channel I don't think it's going to be anything if I'm honest but do you want to go for it and I went yeah okay went down to London did the audition and I did it, and there was like Rick Adams, Lucy Alexander, Munya, and Yolanda, uh, James Gilby, and uh, I did all right, actually. I went down, I sort of had everything prepared script-wise, I knew what I was going to do, rehearsed it, and then got told that I was like, no, thanks, but, you know, we're going to take the others on. And I later found out it was because I was too funny and the person that was hiring didn't want any competition, so... And I went back to Scarborough, did my summer season, then got a phone call uh, from a lovely lady called Catherine Kirkwood, who said, look, presenters are on holiday. Uh, can you come in and cover and do some cover shifts? So I said, yeah. And I thought, right, as soon as I'm in, I'm not going to, I'm going to make it difficult for them to sort of say, we don't want you, you know. And that's it, really. Cool. Well, how wrong were they, really? Because uh, off the back of doing that, you, you were a presenter on there for quite a number of years, weren't you? For I think I did four and a half years there. Yeah, I started off doing the weekends. Like I was doing, so I had to do that. I was like covering during the August and then traveling back to London to do stand up in the evening, then finishing there and getting back up at five to get this. I had to get the six o'clock train from Scarborough, which got me into York at half past six. And then literally had minutes to spare to get off that train and then get the train to London. And my shift would start at 10. I'd do the 10 till 2. I think it's 10 to 2 or 12 to 2. I can't remember. Uh, in the Trocadero, when we were at the Trocadero at the time. And it was just brilliant. It was just, this new channel was fantastic. In fact, and I mentioned it in my book, the agent at the time dropped me when I had the audition. After the audition, I didn't get it. He sort of been, he said, look, you know, I can't represent you anymore. So I said, all right, no worries. 
And then um, I had the great pleasure in sending him a, a photo card that I got, and you know, and I was at Nickelodeon, so he sort of missed out on quite a lot of commission, actually. <laughs> You've shown them then, basically. It's funny, really, how um, they said that, well, your agent at the time said um, it won't take off. I mean, the, the channel's still going, so how wrong were they? <laughs> at the time, it, it just revolutionised kids' TV. It just, and the, the secret was that they let you get away and do with whatever you want. It was just guerrilla TV. You know, if you had an idea, they'd try it. If it worked, brilliant. If it didn't, they get rid of it. And I did like the weekends and then I finished and they said, look, we can't, they couldn't keep covering my cost of traveling from Scarborough to London. So they said, look, if we offer you a three year deal, uh, sorry, three month deal contract, would you, would you do it? So I said, yeah. So I rang up a friend of mine, Rob, who lived in London. And I said, look, I need somewhere to stay. I'm doing this thing called Nickelodeon. And it just, it just snowballed. It was massive. It was absolutely, started off something. And then suddenly, it, when we were there, we just knew that this was going to be big. This was, it had free phone calls, free mail. No other channel were doing that. The BBC weren't doing it. Kids, CITV weren't doing it. You know, and kids could ring in and, you know. And once I got in for three months, I then got offered a, a six month. And then after that, I got offered like a year. I think a year or two years. I can't remember whether I signed a year or two years. Well, Rick Adams was doing the breakfast show at the time, and I thought that's the one. And I was just in the weekends. I was doing a Saturday and a Sunday. I think it was me. Uh, I can't remember. James Gilby did it an afternoon. I remember Sarah Kaywood did the afternoon. Mooney Lander did a slot. So there were names that, you know, that were big names in the world of Nickelodeon. Yeah, and some of them went on to be big names elsewhere as well and uh, obviously and we'll go on to more of it later you and Yolanda end up presenting another show together we'll talk about that a bit later and uh, yeah the names that you mentioned gosh I didn't re- I didn't re- remember or realize that so many people started out on Nickelodeon and um, and it, it's very it was very different I mean I haven't watched any kids tv in a long time but um, like you said that gorilla format I don't even think they do envision continuity on Nickelodeon anymore I think that's a thing they the don't past. they don't I um I took my kids to London. I said, "Look, I found I was I'd moved. I was moving flat off my house and flat there, and I found some VHS tapes. And I had a VHS player, believe it or not. And I stuck uh, on. And I used to do this character called Michelangelo Dillatoon, who was an art critic. And I put it on, and my kids were laughing. And I said, "Is he funny?" And they went, "Yeah, yeah." And I said, "It's me." And they were like, "No." And I went, "Yeah, that was that's that's me." And they just couldn't get over it that I'd come up with these characters, you know. And they loved it. They they watch Nickelodeon now. They they absolutely love it. Do you watch it with them and think, oh god, it's not as good as in my day? I just I, I watch it and I took them back to the studio. I took them to um, Rathbone Place where the studios were. Uh, it's a different building now, and it brought back so many great memories. Like so, I think I I think if there's I've been lucky really in the world to tell you that the jobs I've done they've always been great jobs. You know. And Nickelodeon, I never had a day off sick, never had a day off. Uh, I, I, I worked with the best people, best producers, and it, they were just brilliant. And, you know, it goes down as one of the happiest times in my life. That and the big breakfast, obviously, and probably Rich and Judy, but they, they were the best times in my life. You know, I'd never begrudge getting up at, I think I used to get up about half past five, a car picked me up at six. No, five o'clock, sorry. A car would pick me up at five, I'd be, in, you know, in the car in the studio, we'd rehearse, start at seven, finish it. I never, ever went in thinking, God, can't be bothered doing this. I just loved it. Great stuff. It's it's that classic saying, isn't it? If you enjoy what you're doing, then you'll never work a day in your life. That's yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I, remember, I remember filling an application once and it said occupation and I put TV presenter. It was just, I was quite chuffed being able to put that. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. And also, um, you did a lot of... Um, road shows as well didn't you with Nickelodeon we did they the Americans because it was an American company they had a, they, in America they had the thing called the Red Hot Lobster uh, they, they had the live show it wasn't called the Red Hot Lobster or was it I can't remember to be honest with you but they had the live show that they'd taken out around America and nobody at Nickelodeon could do live and because I came from a live and a stand-up background they asked if I would do it and uh and it was really weird because they said, look, you know, can you do it and we'll pay you extra? And I was like, what? You'll pay me extra? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, right. 
So what they used to do was they used to, I'd stay on air. I used to do all the TV stuff until July. I'd get taken off and maybe do the odd pre-record. But then I'd go on tour. So we had to go to America and they shown us this show that they did. And the producers over there and the director, they said, look, you think you can do it in England? I said, yeah, but I'll tell you what won't work. They used to have this massive, big inflatable ball that they used to throw out in the crowd and, they, you know, I said, that'll never work in England. He said, why not? I said, because somebody will punch it, burst it, or nick it. And two, we don't have the weather. Because we, we, I went to, I can't remember where I went. I went to LA, I flew to LA. They flew me to LA to watch it and then watch it being done. And there were three, like, 20-minute shows. And I was like, yeah, but they weren't. It, it was just, it's hard to explain because it, everything's, you know, as soon as the presenters walk on stage, they scream. If you go, we're going to do this, they go, yeah. You know, they're really over the top, the Americans. And I was like, right, okay, this is going to take some work in England, you know. But I went over, met with the producers. We went through it. They came over to England and they were great. We sat down and I said, look, I've got this idea. And they loved the ideas that I brought to the table. And I said, look, you know, we can do this, this, and this, and this. And I was like, yeah. And it worked. It just absolutely, I think they did a four year, three years of touring. And there were like 22, 23 dates. It was tiring, but it was uh, it was brilliant. And I had a really good mate from Manchester called Chris Pearson, who was a tour manager. And I'd not seen or worked with Chris for years. And he ended up getting a gig and we just had a right laugh. Can you imagine getting, you know, getting paid and just to go on stage and have a laugh and custard pie everybody, gunge everybody, you know. And they spent a fortune on it. They, they spent a massive amount of money on it. And it was brilliant. It was successful everywhere. The only thing we just didn't have was the weather. Yeah, that's very true over here in the summer. To sum up like the Nickelodeon days, is there one memory or one particular time that you kind of think that was that that's my favourite time or favourite thing that happened? I think the things that went on behind the scenes were, you know, the thing with Nickelodeon was that all the presenters got on really well. You know, there wasn't any bitchiness. There wasn't, I got on really well with James, uh, I got on well with Nigel Mitchell. I got on well with Mooney and Yolanda. I got on well with, I started to get on well with Helen Chamberlain. She left and went and did Soccer AM. Sarah Kay would have gotten brilliant with then then she left and went and did the girly show. Lucy Alexander, they she left and went over to the BBC. But we got on really well. We'd finish work on a Friday, we'd go out and socialise on a Friday, you know, did and on Rathalon Places two pubs and Marcus of Granby and somewhere else. I just remember one night finishing, we'd pre-recorded all Friday. I used to have to do the breakfast show, finish the breakfast show then pre-record on Friday for everything to go out on Saturday. And it was a long day. And I worked with a great mate of mine called Dino Sharalambas, a great director. And we'd finished and he just said, oh, and we were talking about racing. He said, I could beat you. I said, you'll never beat me, I'll beat you. And he said, no, and everybody was at the top of Rathbone Place. And we had a race from the top of the street down to the bottom, you know. And <laughs> and so as we walked, as we ran past, someone just went, isn't that a presenter? And I just shouted out, yeah, and then just carried on running, you know. But the camaraderie with everybody was just fantastic. Really, really good. I used to do panto at Christmas. They'd release me. You know, I, I was asked, I always asked if I could do panto, and they'd release me for four weeks. And they would, that Christmas trip for them, their Christmas trip was to get a coach and come and see me in panto wherever I was. So it was, it was a good laugh. It was funny watching the people in the audience when they turned around and you got, Moon and Yolanda there and, you know, because they were big. Moon and Yolanda were so popular. You know, everybody thought they were twins and they weren't. They were just best mates, you know, you know. Um, but they were, everybody loved Moon and Yolanda. I loved Moon and Yolanda. I thought they were great. And two good, good, two very good presenters. They started off working in a shoe shop and then they got their break and they were, they were brilliant presenters, really good presenters. Nigel Mitchell, and he went over to, uh, I think, Disney. Cracking presenter. Young lad, but, oh, what a presenter. I was in awe of all of them. I thought they were all fantastic presenters. Absolutely. Great stuff and, and great days. Um, moving on from Nickelodeon, um, so there's a couple of other shows I want to talk about. And there's one that I vaguely remember, and I'm not sure, I, I don't know if many people remember it, and I think it was about the same time as Nickelodeon. Um, a show called It's Not Fair, which was oh, yeah. Um, yeah. a game show set in a fairground, I seem to remember. <laughs> yeah, it was um, in Scratchy and Coat, was a little segment. Yeah, ITV just came over when I was at Nickelodeon and just said, look, we've got this game show. We'd like you to do it. And uh, Nickelodeon said no at the time. They just said, no, we're, we're not going to give you... It was shot in a week. It was 13 episodes or 
12 or 13 episodes in a week. And they said, no, we're not going to let you do it. So I just said, well, I'm going to leave. And, um, and then they said, all right, we'll let you do it. So I'd sort of established myself in Nickelodeon then. I was sort of like doing the breakfast show. I was sort of like, not sounding big anybody, but I was like top of the tree, you know. So, and I really, Michael Forte kids just came in and said, look, David Mercer from ITV said, look, we've got this and would you like to do it? So I said, yeah. And I did it. And I remember uh, Richard Bradley was a director, great, great guy. And on the first day of filming, I'd lost, my voice had gone just completely. I don't know if it was nerves or I was just, I think it was tired because I was doing that and doing a thing called Fish and Chips for Nickelodeon. And that's the only show that I didn't enjoy doing. And, um, and I had to do this. It's not fair. And it was just at the time when um, on ITV, there was, uh, uh, Jez Edwards was doing a show on ITV. He was a good mate of mine. And they really liked, for some reason, Northern Presenters. So they just asked me if I'd do it. And it was, it was really good. It was shot at Carlton Studios. And it, I really enjoyed it. It was really, really good. Yeah, it was from what I remember. I was quite young at the time. And, and I know the show you're on about with Jez Edwards, because Jez has been on the podcast before. Um, that was Crazy Cottage, which was quite similar, That's it. actually. Yeah. We yeah. used to get recognised. People used to go to Jez and say, oh, I loved you, Mike McLean. And people would come up to me and say, oh, Jez. And it got to the point where I used to sign his autograph and he used to sign mine. <laughs> That's great. <Hello. laughs> Do you know what? I've never confused the two of you. <laughs> Not now. He's got, he's got, I had hair then. I've got none now. But back in the day, everybody used to confuse us. He's still fighting to keep his hair. I've let mine go. <laughs> no, he's I... another great, another great presenter. Absolute, one of the most natural presenters on telly, uh, Jez Edwards, without a shadow of a doubt. Absolutely. We did have a good time chatting, actually. It was it was very, yeah, very good. nice. Um, yeah. With It's Not Fair, um, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I seem to remember. So it was in the fairground. And Andy was, and Floss were two girls. Was I was yes. the ringmaster. Yeah. And they had to do loads of little things and they got guns. And they, I remember they had a wall and they had to pick numbers and they had to punch a question. If they got it right, they punched it, you know. And it was on the last one and there was a big prize. I can't remember what the prize was now. It was a big prize. And they sort of said, oh, look, we'll try and keep it, you know. But this kid was so cute and so nice. I said, oh, you should go for number eight. You should definitely go for number eight. Go for number eight. And they went number nine. I was like, number eight, did you want number eight? You know, and I gave it away. And I got, I didn't get a telling off, but I was sort of like, please don't give away <laughs> prizes again. But this kid was so nice. I just wanted him to win the top prize. The only shame of it is, is because obviously a lot of old shows of, of that time have resurfaced online. Nothing of that has resurfaced yet for me to kind of, because all of my memories are it. just very, very fuzzy. Um, I think the only time I've ever seen a clip of it was when CITV did its 20th birthday thing many years ago. They played about a 30-second clip from it, and that's that's the oh, only thing I've seen recently. Yeah, I mean, this was like 2003, I think that was, um, and they did like a segment about... Saturday morning shows and they did play a clip from it but that's the only footage I've seen since the end of the 90s when it was last on so it's amazing I can really remember it um, I've not seen it since then I've not seen it at all oh uh, no tell a lie I did I did have a video of it of uh, VHS and I did show my kids it uh, okay. no I did I, I don't know where it is now I have no idea I can remember at the end there was like an assault course that was a bit like a wacky warehouse at the end or yeah something that's like right that. yeah 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 didn't they used to get their parents on it or something like that or grown up? They did, yeah. They had like a, a parents or the teacher. I remember my niece coming to see it and I remember saying to Cant, and she was only about three or four, and she came with her, my mum and dad and, and she was dead pleased, like, you know, because obviously her uncle was the guy after telling. And uh, I just remember saying to the girls, whatever you do, don't gunge that little mixed race girl there because that's my niece. Don't gunge her. And I, I remember as we were doing it and filming it, I went, it's time to get guns. And I looked out the corner of my eye and they'd guns and she was just crying. She had this like afro hair and she was just crying her eyes out, you know. And the girls who played Candy and Floss were absolutely distraught, you know. And uh, I just spent the day winding up going, I couldn't believe you did that to that little kid. Can't believe you did that. But yeah, I just looked out and she was crying her eyes out, bless her. <laughs> yeah, the little wind-up merchant. <laughs> yeah, I'd have done yeah, the same. Lot. Yeah, I what I didn't realise, again, on the same, when they did that 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 documentary, into, well, it was more like um, in 2003, when CITV was 20, they did like a special morning looking back. And what I didn't realise is that one of the um, 
one of the girls, I don't remember if it was Candy or Floss, was Andrea, who ended up being a CITV presenter herself for a, for a short time. Yeah, she did. And I saw her in EastEnders. I saw her in an episode of EastEnders as well. I didn't know that. When was that? Yeah. Oh, years ago. Okay. I remember watching it thinking, I know her. <laughs> and, then, and then there it was, and she was in EastEnders. It was only a small part, but I do remember her. She was in Doctors for a long time, I remember. Cause she's from, oh, was she? Yeah, because she's from Birmingham. Yeah, two great girls, really nice girls. Who were. I Sorry, remember going to the makeup artist's house. We had a party one night, and her husband had been the guy who invented oh, the the Wonder Bra, you know, the padding for Wonder Bra. Yeah. And he'd made millions, and he had this massive house. And the, we, we spent a week filming there, and we were just in the hotel and back there. She said, look, the makeup artist said, why don't you come around and have some dinner and go in the pool? I was like, you've got a swimming pool? She said, yeah. So she had this swimming pool, and she had this. And we were just in this. I've got, so I've got a photograph somewhere. And... Her, me, Andy Collins, and we were just in this pool having the best time ever. And I remember just sitting at the bottom of the pool with this tank on and goggles, just dead relaxed, just <laughs> while they were jumping about. I've got this tank and goggles on the bottom of the pool, just breathing in and breathing out. Yeah. And then not knowing where I was. And I was at the deep end, just sat on the bottom. <laughs> cool. Um, oh, Andy Collins as well. I used to love what, because I, I remember pumping up and um, I still have somewhere a recording of the two shows because they were back to back at one point and you make a cameo and pump it up towards the end or something like that, that I seem a, to remember favor yeah that was as a favor for him because he asked me if I'd do it and I said yeah because I didn't really like going on I wasn't a massive fan of going on we had to go on Ant and Dex Saturday I think it was uh Ant and Dex show on a Saturday and I just SMTV yeah and I remember on the day they wanted me to go Man City were playing at home and for oh, okay. me, that was far more important. I remember getting a toddling off on ITV saying, look, you needed to go on. But City were at home, so I really wanted to mm. go and watch the game. Fair. And then Andy just sort of said, look, can you come on? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. So I did it for him. So moving on from It's Not Fair, um, there was another show for CITV that you did, which um, I'm dying to get on to because I-, I loved it, um, was Mad For It, which you presented. But didn't you also create it as well? Did, yeah. Uh, Michael Forte, David Mercer, they, after doing It's Not Fair, they said um, they were after a show for ITV, kids show. And because I used to write, I write, I said, oh, I've got one. They said, have you? So I said, yeah. So they said, look, can you come in tomorrow? And, and you know, I said, I can't tomorrow because I'm filming. I can come in on like a Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. I remember it being, a, so I said, yeah. And I hadn't a show. I didn't have a show. So I went home and I spent like the next two nights just writing it. And I wrote this show and I went to it and I said, look, this is it. And I put in everything, everything that was on Manfred, I came up, virtually came up with. The dating game, uh, the talent show, the gunge, you know, uh, everything. And I just remember Tiz was, that was one of my favourite things, you know. Um, and that's what I wanted. I, I wanted that. And the talent show I knew would work because when I did summer seasons, that was the one thing that everybody wanted to be in. And I knew the dating the dating show would work um, because when I did the summer season, I used to do a kid's blind date. And it was one of the funniest things in the whole of the room. So you can imagine, you know, there's there used to be about a thousand people in it, like, you know, this massive room. And I used to let the kids ask whatever questions you want within reason. But some of the questions were just fantastic and they were funny. And I thought, this will work, you know. So I went back, wrote it, and I went and met him. And I said, look, here it is. This is what I've got. And they liked it. They said, look, you know. And the mistake I made was I sold it to them for a £1,000. And uh, I think it was a 1000 or two. I can't remember. And they bought it off me. And they said, who do you think should present it? And I said, well, the person that wrote it. And they said, okay. And who do you think should co-present it? And at the time, I, I said both Munya and Yolanda. I said, look, there's two girls at Nickelodeon who are fantastic, you know, um, and I think they saw Yolanda. They had their showreel sent in, but they auditioned a load of girls, like loads. Michael Forte auditioned Gemma Forte's daughter. There was a load of people that, you know, came in, but Yolanda was just the one. I had chemistry with Yolanda, and she got the first series. She did the first series, but it was directed by a guy called Peter, uh, and he'd come from BBC. And we didn't really hit it off, if I'm honest. It was sort of loggerheads. 
because we had different ideas. I came from Nickelodeon and ITV wanted a show like what Nickelodeon was, you know, fast moving. And he wanted a show that was very safe and, you know, and it's not the show that I had written. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I just said, look, and it, can you imagine a carrier bag with so much stuff in? And it was like that. And I was like, look, this hasn't got room to breathe. This hasn't got this and this hasn't got that. And we sort of were at loggerheads. I remember one rehearsal that I just, I'd sort of lost. And I never, ever go mad, but I'd lost it with him, you know. And I just sort of lost respect for him, really. And, and then he was just, it was a, a typical Yorkshireman. It was his way or no way. And I was a stu stubborn Spaniard. And I was like, well, no, this is not the right way, you know. But... It was a success. It, it did really well in the ratings. And I think at one time we got like two and a half million viewers. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. This, this was kind of like before, uh, I mean, I know Nickelodeon was going, but like digital satellite kids channels yeah. weren't as prominent as they are now. So you could get a couple of million on CITV. Yeah, um, it, was, yeah. it was. I remember, I remember it being, he said that if it ever gets over two million, you know, and it did. And it was at the time when Saturday, you know, SMTV was on, you know, and, and CITV had sort of changed it, but I'd written it, and I and David Mercer and Michael Forte said, "Look, what do you think of the what name we call it?" And I, because I was from Manchester and Oasis were big, I said, "Let's call it Madfrit." And originally they went, "No, I don't know." And I went, "Look, it's Madfrit. It's got to be called Madfrit. It's a great, you know, Madfrit all day long." Yeah. So we sat in with the commissioner. That it was going to get commissioned. They had to sit in front of the commissioner, and I can't remember his name, but he said, "Do you want to sit in on it?" And I was like, "Yeah." And they said, look, this is Mike, who's wrote it, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I had to sort of, and they said, look, explain the show. And I had to pitch the show to him. And I said, look, I've got this. And he said, about this dating show. And I remember going, trust me, this will work. I've done it on a summer season. And I winked at him. And I don't know why I winked at him. And he went, oh, interesting wink. And I just felt so embarrassed. And as I, he said, what's it going to be called? And as I said, about to say Madfit, one of the people from Carlton TV, it was Carlton TV then, went, Oh, Madfrit, he went, great name. And I remember being so peed off because it was the name I came up with, you know. And uh, he went, yeah, I, I like it, I like it. And he went, okay. And he, he said, right, I'll give you 26 episodes. And that was a hell of a lot back then. Like nowadays, I think you get six, but he gave us 26 episodes, which is virtually, you know, half the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because uh, recently... A lot of the episodes have surfaced on YouTube in quite good quality as well. Um, and I remember watching both series. Um, I remember the second one a bit more just because I was a little bit older by that point. And yeah, 26 episodes is crazy. It's, it's six months. Um, and mm. I, I always saw the show as a bit like a Saturday morning show. It just happened to be on in the afternoon on a weekday in yeah. half an hour. But it could have live worked. Well. Yeah, live as well. It could have worked as a Saturday morning show, but SMTV was the stalwart at the time. Um, but yeah, no, it was fantastic. I, I loved it. It was so, a great show to do. But the only thing was, um, I had to sort of leave Nickelodeon because they were dead streets and they said, look, you know, you can't do both. And I remember my agent at the time having to have a meeting with him and saying, look, you can. And they just said, no. And I'd sort of done four and a half years at Nickelodeon. I thought, well, it's time to leave, you know. So I I sat down with David Mercer and Michael Forte and said, look, you know, I will do it, but it means that I'm going to have to leave Nickelodeon. And I just made the decision of sort of leaving Nickelodeon and, and, um, and just doing mad for it. Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, after so long, you've got to move on and see where the path takes you. Um, and the other thing as well is when I've been like looking back on clips on YouTube, it's funny how of its time it is, how late 90s it is, because it's like, I mean, the title, Mad For It, very 90s, the theme music, the set, the amount of hair gel as well going on, and um, the prizes. Like, you what, sorry? That wouldn't have been me. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, the prizes, like, Furbies and the bands that were on, like, the Venga Boys and Cleopatra. You had a lot of the big names on at the time with the show. We did. I remember saying the first one, I wanted five on, because five were massive at the time. And, they were, and I said, look, you know, we need to... If we do this show, it needs to be... And there was a girl called Rachel who was the booker for the bands. And I just remember saying to her, look, you've got to get five. You've got to get five. And the bands weren't prepared to travel to anywhere other than London. 
And um, I remember the night before, and there's a night before or two nights before, no, the week before, sorry, the week before, yeah, she rang and said, look, I've got some good news, I've got five. And I was dead chuffed. In fact, I ended up doing panto with Richie. And when we first met, we did panto together in Derby. And he's like, Mike, I'm, I'm, we've worked together, haven't we? I said, yeah, you did five, you did um, Mad Friend. He went, yeah, that's it, yeah. And they trashed the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> Completely wrecked it. But no, it was a, it was a great series. The second series wasn't as good. It was all right. There was a lot of politics involved. They got rid of Yolanda. They didn't want Yolanda. They wanted Danielle, which is fine because I, I really liked Danielle. Got on really well with Danielle. It was just horrible that they got rid of her. And they introduced Simon Amstel. And I'd worked with Simon at Nickelodeon. And I remember saying to Michael Forte, because he, he was going to do the outside bit, you know, the OBs and that. Yeah. I just said he's the wrong person for the show. And they were like, no, he's going to be brilliant. He's going to be... And I, I was said to David Mercer, Mike Forte at the time, look, he's not the right person because he didn't have any warmth for kids, Simon. Um, good presenter, but he just didn't have the warmth, you know. Even at Nickelodeon, he, he wasn't, he was quite cutting, you know. Yeah. And uh, after the first ever OB, was it the first or the second, they sort of got rid of him. And sort of said, yeah, you're right, he wasn't, he wasn't right for the show which was a shame. And I just felt felt it wasn't a nice thing for him to have to go through, you know. Um, and I just felt for him, really did. And then they brought in um, Nigel Mitchell, didn't they? Also from Nickelodeon. Yeah, they brought in Nigel, where he's at Disney at the time. And I like Nigel, but I didn't think that he needed three presenters. I just, I just didn't think, because we'd all be biting at the cake, you know. And then it got to a point where they were, they brought in a new producer and a new a couple of new producers and they sort of said, oh, I remember having a meeting. They said, oh, they've written, you know, they've written some new games and stuff like that. And I was like, what? OK. And what they'd done was very naughtily. They took the original games and just tweaked them a little bit and then took the credit. And it sort of really annoyed me, really annoyed me because they just they hadn't come up with anything. They did for me. They didn't bring anything new to the table. Nothing fresh. Nothing new. The only good thing was that Richard Bradley was now directing, who I'd worked with on It's Not Fair, and he was a great, you know, good director, and still in contact with him today. And 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 I'm glad that they brought him in because the last director and the producer Peter from he wasn't he wasn't amenable if that makes any sense. He just wasn't. You know, you go to him with an idea and you go no. no. And I used to obviously write ideas and say, look, we've got this and got that. And it just, no, no. Whereas Richard would go, oh, yeah, that could work. We'd do that, you know. And we tried it. And, it, and my motto from learning from Nickelodeon was, we just try it. If it works, brilliant, we keep it. If it doesn't, it's no loss. It's just telly, you know, and and, and that's the way it was. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and the other person as well in, in Madfrey that we haven't mentioned, um, Pie Boy, um, which... You going on about Tiz was, was that inspired by the Phantom Flanflinger by any chance? Yeah, it was. It was. I, I wanted somebody when we wrote it. I'm, you know, I just, it was just brilliant. I just remember watching that when I was a kid and thinking that's great. And it was, I remember we had, we didn't have an argument. It was a debate whether or not it's going to work or not. And was just like, look, I, if this doesn't work, I'll take you all out for dinner. I remember everybody going, oh, great, brilliant. And I was like, look, I'm so sure and guarantee that this will, this will work but they didn't go with the way I wanted it I wanted somebody that was like a like a Batman in a cape that you didn't see you know hunting around the set and just you know some of the bands didn't want to be pied um but I thought it'd be great if he just free reign and just you know bang obviously they were rehearsed but it had to look like it wasn't rehearsed you know mm-hmm. and it wasn't sort of you know the cage, the cage was good it was okay but I still think that would have been better had it been sort of let loose and him, you know, getting people, even the cameramen, I wanted like, you know, to get the cameraman and another, you know, and, and it had to be, look, uh, it looked like it was out of control, but was controlled. Yeah. But they didn't, they didn't feel as if that would work. And I was like, well, I know it works because we've been doing it in Nickelodeon and that's why they're the number one channel. Yeah. So, oh. you know, and then, I got taken off the live and put on some pre-records and they wanted to see the chemistry work with Nigel and, and Danielle. Danielle was great. She was just, you know, a massive bag of energy and a very good presenter. 
Nigel is a fantastic presenter anyway, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And that was my era of CITV, so I agree totally. Um, used to see, obviously, Danielle every every weekday on CITV. And, and Stephen. And Stephen, yeah. yeah. Actually, the episode of Mad For It that I had on tape was the one that he appeared on, and the both of you ended up in the Dungeon of Gunge at the end. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Every week they'd try and... I'd said I'd do it, but at the end of the series, I wasn't. I didn't want to get dirt because I used to have to finish and then get a train and go back to London. So I just didn't want to get a shower, and get on a train, you know, because once you got in your head, it's dead hard to get out, you know. And just a few more things about it, actually. Um, we were talking off air just before we started um, about the uh, the theme music because I, I didn't know until a few years back that that was an actual song called Harmonica Man. That's and, right, yeah. Um, whether this is sad or not, I don't know. But I, I like um, I like buying records, vinyl records, and I like buying a lot of old 90s dance music. And I was in a shop about two or three years ago, and in this pile of dance records was that track, and I actually bought it on the basis that yeah. this is the Mad Freak theme. It was about yeah. two quid or something. <laughs> I used to use it as... When I did a radio show somewhere else a few years back, I used to use it as my opening theme as well. I thought it was a good tune. <laughs> yeah, it was a very good tune. The actual opening credits for the show won mm. a BAFTA. Oh, OK. Not that we got invited to pick him up or anything, but, yeah, they, they, they won a BAFTA. It was it was a it, it was a great show. I mean, it was massive. Like you know, I didn't realise how big Mad for it was until I remember getting the tube going home into London, and I'd done it at the wrong time. Even Nickelodeon, you know, kids would just be like, "Wow!" And it was just weird. It was just completely weird. You know that they'd recognise you, and you know, you just don't think about it. You know, my my niece used to go to school, and she was. Um, she used to come in and say, can I have some picture cards, autographs? So I said, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, of course you can. I remember we were sat at a table and she had this bangle, either a bangle or a watch. I was like, well, that's nice. When did you bought you that, mummy? She went, no, I swapped it for your autograph. <laughs> I said, oh, great, you know. And the teacher at the time, I remember she was telling me, the teacher said, oh, you're called Nicole McLean. You've got the same name as that guy off the telly. And she said, yeah, he's my uncle. And the teacher sort of said, oh, okay, okay, sit down, whatever, you know. And she came home and told me. And I think Madfrit was on a Wednesday or the second series was on a Friday, I think. Yeah. On a Tuesday, I, I went to pick her up. I said, look, I'll I'll pick you up on a Tuesday. And uh, I went to pick her up and the teacher sort of face dropped when I walked in, you know. She sort of said, I told you it was my uncle. <laughs> that's cool that's cool and um one of the claims to fame with that show actually because um you mentioned earlier there was like a talent show segment which was called um stars up their nose um yeah. katie Melua was on it wasn't she before she was big yeah they had they had a few apparently i think they they had that and the people that used to answer the phones i think they came from the the um nottingham theater workshop two of them became well-known actresses I can't remember who it was, but yeah, Kate Tamela, yeah, she was on Mad Fritz. She, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know until afterwards. Somebody said, oh, somebody in an interview and she had it. She, Do you remember? And I was like, no. I said, yeah, she came on your show, Mad Fritz. I was like, oh, right, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. The best bit of Mad Fritz was rehearsals because we used to have the bands in and we used to rehearse the bands, you know, the shots for the bands. Yeah. So we'd always, so in order to do that, the band didn't come in that day. They didn't come in in the afternoon. They'd come in later on, you know, for the dress rehearsal and stuff. But we used to sit in and pretend we were the band. And I always played the drums, no matter who it was, whichever band it was. And we'd have the floor managers, singers, we'd have, it was, it was brilliant. You know, it was my one bit where I loved it. I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. It was just fantastic. We all used to get up and pretend like if we were five and we'd all try and do the movements, you know, to the band and all that. Lot. And I always thought this would, if this was, was ever filmed and released, it'd make a fantastic sort of video. <laughs> I'd love to see that if the footage exists out there I'd love to see that <laughs> oh so would I so would I <laughs> yeah well thank you for creating such a great show that, was, that, that that holds very fond memories for me I absolutely loved it and um, I oh gosh what I would have done to have uh, put so many people into the Dungeon of Gunge or even to be in it myself it was like great fun like great fun <laughs> yeah it was good there was a lady called um, props manager I can't remember her name She's in my book. I mentioned her in my book. And she used to have to make all the guns. She was brilliant, she was. She hated it. She absolutely hated it because that was her job. She absolutely just 
you know, I used to wind her up going, and the second series is going to be an even bigger cage with bigger guns. And I can't repeat what I should say. <laughs> um, I just think the only the only shame with it is is that, um, like you said, the first series had 26. The second series had a shorter run, 13. And then that was it, just two series. It was a shame. Yeah, because the commission, I'll tell you what happened. The, the guy that commissioned it, and I can't remember his name, went over to BBC. He went over to the BBC and he just didn't want, he didn't want that because it was doing so well. He sort of didn't, he wouldn't commission it again for another run because we actually thought it was going to get another run. You know, we thought, oh, this is going to get another run. It was doing well. And he went over, he got, um, oh, I can't remember his name, but he got a big job at the BBC. And before he went, he just didn't commission it because he didn't want it to go. And then the BBC ended up doing a talent show. I can't remember what it was called, but he basically nicked the idea uh, and, and ended up doing a talent show. I'm trying to think of the name. I can't think at all. No. Oh, well. And had I had I not sold it, that right to ITV, I would have kept it and then probably taken it to the BBC when they didn't commission it and say, look, do you want his, you know, mm. do you want to put it on BBC? But it was belonged to Carlton TV, so I couldn't, oh, which well. was a shame. But I did get a lot of people say at the at the end of it they they were gutted that it sort of finished, yeah. you know. But it was good. It, I was I'm a great believer in that leaving wanting more. Don't you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the uh, the thing that 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 shows you that it was popular and people loved it is to this day, twenty years on since it finished. I can't believe it, but twenty years on since it finished, people still ask you about it. Yeah, I uh, yeah they do. It's it's more the uh, the my kids go to school and it's their mums and dads sort of, you know, remember it and remember other shows that I've done. They, it's bizarre. It's really bizarre. You know, to me, it was just a job. It was a nice job. Great show. I wrote it and got it commissioned and, and you know, I'm, I'm dead chuffed that I did and I'm glad. I'd always loved watching TV, kids TV when I grew up, you know, growing up, I always thought Tizwas was great, Swap Shop was great and I thought it'd be great to, you know, do a show like this. And then to do it was just really nice. Absolutely. Um, so we'll kind of just move on to a few things you've done since then um, as we head towards the end. Um, after that, you moved into the world of grown-up telly. You did. Uh, you moved over to Channel 4 and did The Big Breakfast and Richard and Judy. Uh, tell us a, a bit about your time doing that. Well, the transition from kids to adults is quite a difficult one. Um, and I literally sort of went... I went back to Nickelodeon. They asked me if I'd go back to do the tours, you know, the Red Hot Lobster tours and that. Yeah. And I went back to doing some presenting in the morning and I think we did the show from some kids' houses and I did it. But the magic had sort of gone for me at Nickelodeon. There'd been a change of staff and I just, I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't enjoying it. There was new people there. Lee Francis, uh, who does the thing on ITV2, he was doing characters there, you know. And I thought, I'll leave it. So I did, I said yes to doing the, the tour, Nickelodeon the Red Hot Lobster Tour, because none of the presenters could do live. None of them could do it. And during the time, a, a woman called Trudy Dance, who used to work at Nickelodeon, rang me up and said, look, um, do you fancy auditioning for this big breakfast, the outside broadcast? Because uh, it's going to be all changed. And I said, yeah, OK. So I sent in my reel and they said, look, can you come in for a, a, an audition? And I did it. And then that was it. Then they just said, yeah, look, can you? would you like to cover? So when Johnny was in Spain, Richard would go in the house and I would do Richards. And then after a while, they just said, look, Johnny's leaving. Johnny left. And then Richard was going in the house and they just said, look, you know, would you like to do it? Well, Paul Tonkinson did it at first with Donna Eyre and Amanda Byron. And they said, look, would you like to do the outside bit? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I signed. And um, and then it all changed. Uh, Paul did a bit. And it just didn't work. It, it didn't. They sort of tried to change the big breakfast from what it was to something new, you know, and I'm a great believer in it. if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, the breakfast was doing well. It just needed a new team of producers and ideas to get it going. Like any show, really, you'll have their stale moments, you know. Um, and the old bees, I was doing the old bees outside and then they were doing really well. I had a great team. I had like a guy called Paul Conley and Gareth Cornick, two great producers. <clears throat> and we were going out and making these outside broadcasts and we were they were fun, you know really really fun and, and these short little films and then uh, a woman called Elsa Sharp said look would you be interested in doing all 
the junkets, you know, so you'd have to fly to New York and interview whoever or whoever was over promoting a film. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So I started doing them as well. And I was doing really well. And then it changed. Uh, it, uh, they got rid of the exec producer who sadly passed away since and brought in the original um, Ben Rigdon and just went back to the old format and it worked, started doing well, you know. And then like everything else, somebody at Channel 4 just went, look, we're going to call it a day on the big breakfast, which was a real, real shame. I still think to this day, if this, the big breakfast was on TV now, it'd be the what probably the most watched programme on British TV. Yeah, I think I agree. We just need something different, really. A lot of breakfast telly can be a bit boring, and that just livens it up a bit. Um, I think the world we live in now, we're too safe. I think Channel 4 was scared of upsetting somebody. You know, it's you look back at telly years ago, I feel sorry for my kids because they didn't grow up watching Saturday morning TV. You did, I did, you know, and Saturday morning TV was a great thing. It was an institution. My kids haven't, they don't, they don't watch Saturday morning TV. Um, but it was a shame. It was a real, again, it was another great job. You know, I was very lucky that I went to do a job that, you know, I really, really enjoyed. Absolutely loved it. I, again, I didn't think anything would beat Nickelodeon and that came close to it, you know, mm-hmm. really, really good job. Really loved it. Met so many interesting people, worked with some great people, met some right assholes, you know, and, and had the best time ever. Great. And then you, and then you moved on to the Richard and Judy show and uh, interviewed a lot of very big names. Yeah. Well, Gareth Cornick, who I worked with on the big breakfast, he went over to uh, Richard and Judy and they wanted somebody to do the outside. And he rang me and said, look, would you be interested? So I said, yeah. And I had, a, I had to go and have a meeting with Richard and Judy at their house. So I had a meeting with them. And we did an outside broadcast when they finished this morning. Do you remember when they used to host this morning? Yes. And we went and delivered a cake. It was a nice OB and he remembered it. So I, my first OB was in Blackpool with a load of sci-fi fans and that. And uh, yeah, he was great. And then after that, they just I spent seven years with them uh, as their, you know, outside reporter and that. And there were seven great years again, you know, and I'll keep saying it, but again, really, really lucky to sort of work with the king and queen of TV. You don't realise how how popular they are. I'm just when it finished, I, the amount of times if I had a pound for every time somebody went, "How's Judy? Have you seen her without her makeup on?" I, I, I literally would be a millionaire. Oh gosh, <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. And uh, as what well, you did a bit, done like occasional bits of acting as well. Like you're in the office, um, and the other one as well. Um, you're in Shameless. I, I used to watch that, and I, I, I didn't. I, I must have seen the episode, but uh, and just not realised it. And then when I found out, I was like, "What? <laughs> he was in Shameless." Yeah. Well, Ricky Gervais <laughs> rang up and said, "Look, do you." Do you want to be in the office Christmas special? I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't watch The Office. I wasn't, you know, I didn't watch it. And I went down, had a meeting with Stephen Merchant. He said, yeah, um, can you come back and read in front of Ricky? And I was like, yeah, sure. Went there, had a fantastic meeting with him and, and then did it. And one of the nicest, the nicest people I've ever worked with, he was just brilliant, you know, really, really good. But once he gets you laughing, that's it. It's like a dog with a, a bone, you know, they won't let you go. And I did it. And I didn't realise how big the office was and how big the Christmas special was. I was in Panto in Shrewsbury and it came on. And I I didn't watch it when it came. I very rarely watch stuff. And I just, I did honestly, God, I didn't watch it. I just didn't watch it. And the next day I woke up and there must have been about 40 to 50 text messages off people going, oh my God, you're in the office. Oh my God, you're in the office. You're in the office and in the office. And the people I had the digs with, the house that I lived at, even the woman was like, oh my God, suddenly went from having crap breakfast to whatever you wanted for breakfast, you know. Um, it was just so powerful. It, it was it was really, really big. And, and Shameless, I just, again, just got asked if I'd like to play this, if Father Tony. I'd gone in for another part and I didn't quite get that part. And they said, look, you know, we got this part. And it was just a, a couple of days filming. The first day filming, I had to be tied naked to a tree and I was in Panto in Manchester and it was minus six that morning. Oh no. 
and it had to be done by 11 because it had to be at the theatre, you know. And then the next day, uh, it was about two days later or something. It was on my day off. It was on a Monday. Uh, yeah, day off on a Monday. We filmed the actual interior shots in uh, in Withinshaw. Um, yeah, and that, and then yeah, so I've done that, and also, oh, I did my, my my big fat diary on Channel again, Channel Four. Just the director and I said, look, there's a part here. It's only a few lines. Will you do it? I was like, yeah, sure, and I did it. So, and I enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Good, good, good. Well, it's, it's been good talking uh, about your memories and what i like to kind of wrap up with towards the end is, uh, I mean, what have you been up to more recently? Well, I went back to stand-up. I um, I went back to stand-up. Um, I love stand-up. I wrote, like I say, I wrote my book, I wrote my biography, which I thought I needed to do because there's so many stories in there that I wanted to get, you know, across. And then I went back to doing stand-up. Uh, I had a really bad time with stand-up. I died in the death like all comics do, but it really affected me. And then I, when I was working with Rich and Julia, my producer at the time, I said, look, you know, you need to get back doing it. So I did and, and got with a couple of writers and put together an act and I've never looked back since. I absolutely love it. I love stand-up, love writing and, and just that, you know, it's funny really, when you're not on the telly, people go, oh, what are you doing now? But you're still working, you know, uh, just because you're not on the telly and not doing anything that's on the telly doesn't mean you're not successful. You know, you, I think any day, if anybody's working these days and making a living from this business, then to me, they're successful. You know, uh, I got offered the first ever I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, and I turned it down. And, you know, at the time, I didn't want to do, I got offered Big Brother, and I just didn't want to do reality TV. I never wanted it to do, I never wanted to do reality TV. It wasn't for me. And I probably still wouldn't do it. Now, I'd probably do The Jungle, but that's about the only one, you know. But I enjoy being a dad now. I've got two kids, and I love making them laugh as much as I've made everybody else laugh. Fantastic. And if anybody um, wants to buy your book, what's the name of it? It's called Oh, I Remember Him, uh, because when people see it, they go, oh, yeah, I remember him, <laughs> um, you know. And the title was given to me by Gareth Corning. Really good, great title. Uh, and they can get it either from Amazon or direct from mikemclean.co.uk. Just go on the website and get it there. Great stuff. And people can follow you on Twitter as well if they want yeah, to. Uh, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. And share. Just don't follow me to my house. You know. <laughs> well, I have to say, it's been um, a joy chatting with you and also especially reminiscing about the uh, the kids' TV stuff because I'm, I'm a huge fan. And, uh, yeah, loved it. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome, Jack. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. A big thanks to Mike there. And thank you for listening as well. I'll be back next month with another great interview. And don't forget, there's plenty of previous editions to listen back on too. Until next time, I'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>